we've been we've been talking the last several weeks, and I appreciate Pastor Cam and Pastor Richard for uh, continuing the messages on the prodigal that we started quite a few weeks ago. The Lord has been dealing with us, and one of the thrusts and the main vision for us this year is that we're going to be searching after and that we're pursuing prodigals, lost sons and daughters. It's just one of the, the many things that we're doing and wanting to do in outreach and community outreach this year to be a church for the people, to love the things God loves. But in that process, the Lord laid it on my heart that we would be searching and pursuing souls, especially prodigals this year. And I'm thankful to report to you, you know, when you're praying specifically, I'm praying every day, Lord, give us prodigals, give us our lost sons and daughters And I want to report to you, in my keeping score, I've already got two prodigals who've used the very words. Amen. They've said these very words. They said, Pastor Ray, I want to come home. And I knew immediately. I checked in my spirit. That's a prodigal right there. And we've got two of them so far. I don't know how many you got already. I know I got two. So we're going to keep score all year long. And we're looking. There were thir- or 20 people saved at the jail ministry yesterday. That's somebody's prodigal. And that's somebody's son and daughter. And we're thankful for that. We're thankful for all the things that God is doing. And, and as we, as I mentioned earlier, answered prayers. These are the things that are important about a church. Getting a hold of God, sensing and knowing the presence of God. You know, a lot of folks, you know, it, it's all about the, the style of preacher. Or, or it's about the music. Or it's about the color of the carpet. (laughs) For me, it's about the presence of God. It's about knowing that when I come in here and I have a need, I can share together with my brothers and sisters. And not only do we pray about it, which is good. Not only do we believe together and it's good. Not only do we encourage one another with scripture and we pat one another on the back and we love on one another. Those are good. But I'm thankful this morning that we also get to keep score. That we believe and we see answers to prayer. Where is Elaine? Where did she go? Get over here. Come over here. I know y'all talked about it, but I didn't have my chance. I was one of those people right alongside of so many that has been praying for her. This woman has fought. You know, when I prayed, and I haven't told you this yet, but, you know, and how appropriate that song. Sometimes it takes a mountain. You know, you've gone through almost six years of cancer reports. And every time you come to us, it's bleak. I've met with you and your husband in my office where your husband begged me to change your mind and to help you to fight you differently, differently, a different way. Because this woman, I've never in my life met anyone who is so full of faith. Faith. Her doctors know it. Her friends know it. Her family knows it. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't phase her. She'll give me one report and it just seems like I'm like sitting there going, are you kidding me? And uh, we're going to prayer and Bob, I'm hanging on to Bob. And we're like, Bob, we're going to go for this. We're going to pray. And Elaine's just like, faith over fear. I'm like, but, but Elaine... They're saying it's bad this time. And she says, I know. But, but no, Elaine, you, no, we'll be here for you. We'll, we'll, be, we'll agree with you. Thanks. 
God assured me of something one, one of the days I was praying. He said, that young lady right there has enough faith in her all by herself to take care of the things that she's gone through. But so thankful, amen, so thankful for the hand of God that rests on her life. I don't even know how many times she's been given stage four cancer. But very recently, she was diagnosed with stage four cancer again. And you know, I was sharing with you, I was like, God, she's been healed. We've gotten a clean report. And then a year or two years, we'll come back and it's like we're hitting it again. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, thief comes to kill to steal destroy and said he is got her under a watch of attack said he wants her to fail he wants her faith to let down one good time because he wants to try to disgrace god and he's he's sorry he's using you as a punching bag but you know what what's awesome is that even in those days when you may feel a little weak somebody else is right there beside you to lift up your arms and win the battle and once again once again she got a report now I don't want to tell all your business whatever you want to say because I'm going to give this to you it's all to God's glory no matter Amen. The, how the report sounds but the last one was that it was in the sh- left shoulder in the bone and there are both arms in the lymph nodes the esophageal aorta the breast, I can't remember if I just say lymph nodes under both arms, um, around the aorta and the stomach, stomach lesions, lesions in the liver, the right rib, the um, right thigh bone, but God, it's all gone, it's all gone. She got a, amen. Amen, praise God. Now listen, listen, you're going to go crazy even more because she has the scans and we're going to get those scans. We're going to show them to you right up here on the big screen. She has one scan that shows cancer, all cancer spots all over her body. And she has a diagnosis of stage four. You know what that means? Stage four, let me just put it this way. There isn't a stage five. In man's world, stage four, but here we go. This is why I said that. Because the latest report on Elaine Hardesty comes back and her stage is now zero. Zero. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He answers prayer. God's alive. He's on the throne. You can trust in Him. You can lean hard upon Him. He's the God of His Word. He can heal. I said he can heal. You explain it, Buster. You explain it. You figure it out. How many times? One time? Twice? How many times has this been, Elaine? How many times have you got the clean report? Three or four times. They keep trying to take her down. God keeps picking her right back up to be a light and a testimony to his wonderful name. Amen. There is a shifting. 
the doctor says one thing in my favor. I got stage four right now, but there's a breaking in my direction. There is a shifting. Come on, sing it with me. In my favor as I pray. There is a breaking. There's a breaking in my favor. And there time right there. There is a break in my favor. I'll be quiet. There's a break in my direction. not be going on the road together uh, to sing. Thank, thank you, Gary, for putting up with me. Every now and again, I just break out. But you know, it doesn't matter what the doctor says. It doesn't matter what the boss says. It doesn't matter what the neighbor says. It doesn't matter what anybody says. God always has the last word, Craig. God always has the last word. And he's an awesome, mighty God. And he deserves our praise this morning. He deserves glory and honor and power and wisdom and grace. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and verse 2. It's our text today. This is what we started out with several weeks ago. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, to hear him, Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. In other words, this man hangs out with ungodly, wicked, rotten, rebellious, evil people. He hangs out with them and he even eats with them. He takes them to lunch. They grumbled. As they sat there with their arms crossed and their legs crossed, looking at the man who claimed to be the Son of God. You see the bigger picture. You see sinners, tax collectors, coming in the back door, over to the side, sitting down, wanting to listen to Jesus wanted to hear from him ashamed disgraced they know they're lost somehow this man is speaking things that that they want to hear that means something to them that might 
means hope for change. You know what I've come to find out in ministry? Maybe, maybe you have not found this out yet. Maybe you're still in the baby stage. Maybe you're still on the bottle. But when you get mature in God, do you know what you find out about those sinners that you don't want anything to do with? That they're good people raised up just like you. Raised up just like you were. Circumstances. The situations have caused them to fall flat on their face. And the last thing they need is your heel in their back. They need your hand to pull them up. That's what they need. Father, we ask your blessings on your word this morning. Pray that you'll speak to us by your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You be seated. In this fourth week of preaching from Luke chapter 15, somebody says, you can go four weeks in just one chapter there with three parables. Yes, you could probably preach all year from this one, one verse of Scripture. We started out four weeks ago with Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. We started out talking here about what God loves and, and love and acceptance and forgiveness. And now here we are four weeks later. We're coming back full circle back to this very same scripture. We're going to end our series. But it's important that we note that we may be ending a prodigal series we've taught on for the last four weeks. But we are by no means moving away from the vision and the thrust and, and heart behind our pursuing prodigals in this church. All year long and for the, until Jesus comes, we're going to be searching, seeking out, and being a church that is equipped and able to bring a, a welcome sign, a, a big, huge welcome sign to every, every prodigal son and daughter that they're welcome home, that they can come home. I want us to be a church that finds the love and the acceptance and the forgiveness that brings these people home. We've talked about the parables that Jesus gave in this masterful piece of literature. You cannot believe, unless you are a scholar of the word, you can't really believe how much when you layer, unlayer that, that little passage of scripture in Luke 15, you can't believe how much is really there, how amazing it is, how beautiful the literature is, and how very uh, on purpose every part of those stories were. We've only just begun to pursue our prodigals in a, in a major thrust of prayer and fasting, but this is something that's been going on since the beginning of time. The Lord loves the lost. But what an incredible drama this is. It reveals the heart of the Father's love. And we've talked about the unconditional love of God. Understand the unconditional love of God means God loves people no matter how good, bad, or ugly they are. And He loves them the same no matter what. The day that they were, these little children that we dedicated this morning, those babies are loved by God. Jesus said, suffer not the little children to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. He loves babies, we know that. But the awesome thing about the unconditional love is that he loves that little baby not one bit more than he'll love that baby when that baby is 55 years old. He loves unconditionally. He loves with a love that's everlasting. And he never, ever quits on us. I heard this morning while we were singing, I got a little weepy while we were singing in the first service because it came to my heart. I was thinking about the fact that he has never gave up on me. 
He has never quit on me. He's never walked away from me. And I'm so thankful for the love and the mercy and the grace of God. And I've learned the hard way that I am nothing without him. There's no goodness. I don't deserve to be here in this church, much less up here standing behind the sacred desk. Not one of us can I break, uh, burst your bubble just a little bit. I'm sorry, sweetheart. I'm sorry, mister. You are not worthy to be here today. There ain't a good thing in you that deserves to be able to sit on that pew and be in this service today. Not one thing about you is good enough. But the power and the awesome love and the redemptive process and sacrifice of Christ makes it possible for you to be a son and a daughter of the Lord. Somebody ought to give a round of applause and thanks for that. Jesus was up to something. You see, this parable was not just him rambling, telling a a story or making up a drama. He had had such a a design in every one of the words that he spoke. First thing he wanted to do was express the love of God for the lost. That's why he was hanging out with sinners. That's why he was eating with them. That's why his heart was to know them and to love them and to, to have them. I mean, they felt comfortable enough that they're kind of sneaking in where he was talking because they felt they had a connection with him. People love Jesus. There isn't anything about Jesus this world doesn't love. I've said it before and I'll say it again. It's the church sometimes that stands in the way of them getting to the Lord. Religious, false religion, religious kind of uh, lifestyles, pharmaceutical, I call it, Sadducee kind of living. The church is the ones that hung him on the cross. The church is the ones that have been the problem. Jesus spent so much time trying to correct the people who were believers. And it's so important, and it was important in the Old Testament, it was important in the New Testament, and can I tell you it's important in 2018 because we still get off in our pride and we think that we are something, we think we're special, and we think we deserve what God has done for us. We think that once we've been in the church for a while, we have a right to be able to look down our nose on everything going and coming. We think we have it all figured out, and we know what God likes because it's whatever we like. I'm here to tell you this morning, the best that we can ever be in the presence of God is humble and broken before him. Buried our face in the altar of the Lord, praying and thanking him for the mercy that he's given to us. He wants us to know he loves the lost. He expressed it in how a shepherd loves his sheep, how he's willing to leave the 99. Some people say, no, 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 come on. You've got the 99. You, we've, we've got this crowd, you know, every now and again, you know, you lose one. As long as you're still making product, and as long as you got money, and as long as you got everybody, you got the 99, so you're okay. It doesn't matter. But no, no, Jesus says, no, listen, the heart of the Father is like a shepherd who loses one sheep out of a hundred, and he can't rest. He, he, he searches all over the hillside. He looks in the thickets. He looks over the cliffs and the, and the places. I love the picture at Kettering Hospital of, of the shepherd, Jesus, reaching down over a cliff. Uh, there's a, a sheep that's caught in a thicket off the side of the hill. 
And there he is reaching down and pulling that little sheep up onto the top of the hill. I love that picture because that is what he did for me when he reached down his hand for me. And when he found me where I was. Don't get any idea. I know some folks act like it. But there was nothing in this house but a bunch of rotten, dirty sinners before they got saved. And Jesus washed them, cleansed them, sanctified them, filled them with his Holy Ghost. And the only difference between them and you is that they've been forgiven and you can be forgiven as well. You can be transformed. He loves you as much as he loves anyone else. And anyone who's ever made you feel like they all that, and they got a right to judge you and condemn you and put you down and put you off to the side, outcast you and not talk to you, I'm telling you, You are not talking to the right people. You're talking to the Pharisees. Second, he wanted to reveal the true heart of the love of God for the Pharisees. Believe it or not, in this parable, not only is God showing, yes, we we love the lost sheep. We search for them diligently like a woman who's lost a coin of her dowry. She asks to have this coin that she can enter into a marriage with. She'll search and sweep the whole house looking for that one coin in order to bring it together. And not only, not only does he love like that, but like a father who has two sons. But isn't it amazing that many times we look at the parable of the lost son And that's exactly what we call it, the lost son. Instead of what the Bible calls it. Because the Bible says a man had two sons. Two sons. And he goes into talking about one. And he divides that up into several verses. And then he picks up and talks about son number two. And in this last message in this series, we're looking at son number two. As I have been kind of blown away by some of the things that I feel like the Lord has shown me concerning who he is. But it all goes back to why Jesus told the parable in the first place. He told it because he was listening and he heard them grumbling and talking about them. It says, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. They were astonished, disgusted, condemning in their words and judgment of the Son of God. Why? Because he ate with them. He hung out with them. He accepted them. He fellowshiped with them. He didn't turn them off. Jesus wanted to show the heart of the Father. And he sends a message not only to them and to the lost that they're loved, But he also sends a message down through generations to 2018 saying, hey, stay on mission. The things that God loves, you ought to love. The things that he pursues, you have to pursue. Church, we have to stay on mission if we're going to see the prodigals come home. We have to stay loving what God loves, pursuing what God pursues to show grace as he shows grace. To be as diligent as a shepherd who will not rest until he's able to pick that sheep up, put it around his shoulders. And I love that picture as well because it speaks to the fact that the sheep is probably wounded, probably been hurt, probably can't walk on its own. 
and he puts it around his shoulders. And it says as he goes home, he calls all of his friends and says, come and celebrate with me. For my sheep, the one that was lost has now been found. Or the woman that's desperate to find the valuable coin. Or the compassionate father who through tears ran to his son. Or to that same father who in patience loved his older son. We've come to the conclusion after several weeks that what God is wanting from us is love, acceptance, and forgiveness. He wants not only us to experience that, he wants us to show that. We have to show love, acceptance, and forgiveness. Anything less than that is hypocrisy. Pretty stiff, isn't it? Anything less than love, acceptance, and forgiveness is hypocrisy. We can't be guilty of that. When Jesus told these three parables, he was revealing God's great joy over sinners, lost people who repent. But it says he had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. He divided his property between them. Not many days later, the young son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. The far country equals anything that separates us from the father. There he squandered his property in reckless living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. You got to remember, this was a Jewish young man. Pigs are unclean. It's unkosher. He can't be near them. But this is how low, how low sin has taken him. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread that I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he went on and you know the story. The Bible says that as he was yet a great distance away, You know what that speaks to me about the love of the father? That means every day while the father was working, he had one eye on the horizon. Every day, his answered prayer, he was waiting for an answer to those prayers, waiting for his faith to be realized and God to hear him and the heaven to open up and for there to be an answer to the cry and heart, his heart, that he would find his lost son. And every day, he'd get off work and he'd sit on the back porch and he'd, yeah, it doesn't say that. I'm creating that. I'm making it up. He's sitting on the back porch eating his, his soup. One eye is on the horizon. And one of those days, I don't know how many months, I don't know how many years it was. One of those nights, one of those days, he's staring off to the horizon. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the heart of the father who never gave up, never quit, knew it would happen, had expectation, no matter how bad the report was or how many years it had gone on, Elaine, he saw him coming. The Bible says he got up and he ran. That's the heart of God. 
What are you doing? What are you doing? That's the heart of God. When we see him walk in the back door, these prodigals that have been involved in all kinds of drug abuse and alcoholism, and they've been involved in all kinds of sin and rot. They've been dirty and rotten, and they've got into prostitution, and they, they've sold stuff they shouldn't do. They've broken people's houses. They, they've, they've lived their lives being as low down as they can be. They're in the pig's pen, and they're living like the devil, and they come all of a sudden out of nowhere, finding, them way, finding a way into the church house one Sunday morning. The, here's the heart of God. The heart of God is that we run. We run to them. We run to them. That's the heart of God. What's wrong with us? What's wrong with us? We won't let them sit with us. We won't let them hang out with us. We won't fellowship with them. We won't eat with them. No. Jesus looks at the Pharisees, at the Sadducees, and he says, you have no idea, no concept of what the heart of God is. Let me, let me show you exactly what I want to show you today. That son didn't have one prodigal. He had two. He had two lost sons. One lived in the house. One went to work in the field every day. One was there all the time, obedient and faithful, paid his tithes. He was there every time the door was open, smiling, sitting on the pew. But he was lost, just like the one that was out living like the devil. Jesus was wanting to send a message to them, to them all. You've got to have the heart of the Father. You have to know what He knows, love what He loves, pursue what He pursues. You know what they were doing. I mean, Jesus was setting them up. I mean, think about this. He was so perfectly, so beautifully putting this story out that He started off with the sheep. And all the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're like, oh, the shepherd found his sheep. Bravo, bravo. Let's have a praise report. <laughs> and then he goes on to how valuable the lost coin is. Oh, bravo. Yes. Yes, we all love money. We know how valuable it is. That's a good one. And then they get to the lost son, and the son begged of his father his inheritance. Didn't want to live with him. Didn't want to be with him. He loved the money more than he loved dad. Went off into the world dancing and priring prostitutes and living like the world and just throwing all his money away. And he's wicked and rotten and has gone as far and as low as he can go. And they're all sitting there going, "Mm, mm, mm." And he found himself in the pig's pen wishing he could eat off the pods that the pigs were eating. And they're like, oh, well, he's made his bed. He's going to have to sleep in it now. That's what he deserves. Can't believe he did that to his father. And pigs, unkosher, unclean, he's went as low as he can go. As a Jew, we won't even go near him. But Jesus sends a shift to the story. Suddenly, out of nowhere, in the middle of the pig's pen, you hear Gary singing, There is a shifting. 
There is a breaking in my direction, as Jesus says. And when he came to himself, he suddenly knew, man, sin is taking me as low as I can go. I can't can't believe how far away I've gotten. I can't believe how rotten. I can't believe I'm sitting in the circumstances. I can't believe I got here. Let me guarantee you something. I know lots of folks, and I've talked to lots of folks who failed God and found themselves in sin. They cry and they hurt. And the first thing comes out of their mouth is usually, Pastor, I can't even believe I'm here. I can't, I don't know how I got here. I've heard that a hundred times. And they're weeping and they're crying. I'll never forget walking into a jail here at Middletown. And one of our young men had just, had been trying to live right. And he'd just gotten with the wrong people. And he'd gotten so messed up and he'd done so many wrong things. And, and he ended up in jail in an orange suit. And he didn't know that I was coming. I went right the very next day. And as I walked in, I'm sitting there behind the glass. And he walks in in his orange suit and he opens his eyes and looks at me and he stands there and he just starts weeping. It's a tough guy. He sits down and he won't even look at me and he reaches and puts his hand on the glass. And you know what I did? I reached right back up and put my hand right on his, on that glass. And I picked up the phone and I called him by his name and I said, first thing you need to know is I love you. I love you. First thing you need to know. This young man came to his senses. He always does. You see, the enemy loves to, to, he's got you blinded and you don't even know it. He's got you blinded. You don't even have a clue. He blinds us. Knocks us out. He he takes away our rationale, our intelligence. We're not as smart as we think we are. You know, I've often said it, and I want to say it again. Deception works because you don't know it. When you're deceived, listen, you might be deceived. Because when you're deceived, you don't know it. I've never met anyone who goes, wow, you know what? I am so deceived. When you're deceived, you have no idea. That's why it works. Sinners, the lost, are deceived. And when they're lost, the enemy loves to come along when they're at the very worst. And then just take his hand off. And he wants them to see the mess in front of them. And they're broken. And they're as low as they can get. They feel no worth, no value prayed with someone earlier today who said, I'm dealing with suicidal thoughts. He takes them as low as he can and he tries to discourage and depress them until they have no hope of living. And so he said, I'm not worthy to be called a son. So maybe I could just go back, be a slave. Maybe I could just be a servant. So he practices. Father, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Let me be as your hired servant. I've sinned in the sight of heaven and in your sight. 
practice and practice and finally got it right. And he got it all the way ready to go. And as he's coming up over the hill, he's like, I'm just a few miles away now. I'm just, there's the house. I see it. And he comes over the hill and his dad is sitting there eating that soup. And he goes, oh, my goodness, Elizabeth, that's a big one. There's our boy. There's our boy, and he takes off running, weeping as he runs, and he runs, and he runs, and he gets to him. It says he falls on him, and he embraces him, and he kisses him, and he just wraps his arms around him. This is the love of God. This is what God does to us. I'm so thankful. This morning, I kept saying, I'm thankful that you never gave up on me. I'm thankful that you never turned me down. You never outcast me. You never blacklisted me. You always have loved me and been there for me. Every time I turn to God, he's right there running to me every single time. I don't understand it. I can't comprehend it. It don't make any sense. But I'm sure glad that he did. I'm glad that he has never gave up on me or walked away from me. I'm thankful for that this morning. They were rooting for the shepherd. They're cheering for the unmarried girl, but it was a different attitude when they got to the lost son. They were all kind of hoping that the spoiled brat would get what's coming to him, but uh, Jesus changed the atmosphere of the story. The only hope he had was to return to the father, and he did. And when he did, you've heard it, the fat cam, the, the fat, fattened calf. And he, he turned around and he says, go get the robe. Get the robe. Bring him the best robe in the house. Bring him the family ring. He had to give that up when he left. Bring him the family ring. Look at my boy. He, he's been in the pig slop in the world. He, is, he doesn't even have shoes on. Get him some sandals. and put shoes. Because this is my boy. He's not going to come home and ask to be a servant. I'm gonna, he's my son. He'll always be my son. I'll never, never let him be anything less than that. Not in my house. My boy comes home. He comes home to a royal robe and to a ring and the sandals. And we're going to throw the biggest party we ever had because my son has lost, was lost, has now come home. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of heaven. That's why the Bible says the angels go into a massive chaotic roar every time one sinner comes to repentance. I'm telling you the heavens declare and they're glorious and I can almost see in the balcony of heaven every single time one, one sinner, one lost person, yes, filthy from the pig's pen, filthy from the world, disgusting what they've done and how they've been and where they've been in and what they've been into. But, oh, heaven, heaven looks past all of that because all heaven sees is the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. All heaven sees is the blood covering of Jesus Christ. And they say, one more has come home. One more has found their way to the glories of God's grace and forgiveness. Thank God that he came to himself. Thank God one night, July 2nd, 1981, at O'Hare Arena, I came to myself and I said, I need you, Lord. I don't know the answers to my life, but I know that you do. And in that process, he brings a restoration. And the boy who wanted to just be a slave didn't feel he was worthy to be anything but a slave. He's made a son. He's made a son. God, the, the church may mistreat you. Church may blacklist you. Church may sit back on their royal thrones and decide you are not worthy. 
But I want you to understand and know that God, he, he throws a party. That God cheers and roars. All of heaven is aware and the confetti is flying because God sees you as valuable. He sees you as a treasure. He sees you as his lost son or daughter that has come home. And there is nothing but celebration with the Lord. And we have got to do this. Don't you buy into anybody's story about they're better than you. Don't you buy into anybody's self-righteous hypocrisy that you are somehow second class. You are not. You are a child of God. You're a son and a daughter of the Father. And don't you dare let anybody take that away from you. Mm. I'm a God of great passion for my people. I have created you, and I have made the plans for your life. I know you. I love you with a love that will never quit, will never give up. Look to the heavens and know that I am loving you from a part of great compassion to forgive you and to love you into strength and to guide you into a life where you honor your Father in heaven. Don't allow the enemy to disguise himself against you. Don't look to the weapons of his warfare, but trust and lean upon my truth, my word, and my people. For there is yet a remnant of those who have my heart, and I will use them to strengthen you and to lift your arms up so that in every battle you shall win, says God. You are not a hopeless case. You are my apple in my hand. You are the apple of my eye. You are the treasure of my soul. Hallelujah. The Lord loves you this morning. Hallelujah. Stand with me this morning. Hallelujah. To briefly... ahead to the next 10 pages it was an Old Testament problem it was a New Testament problem because in the middle of the party the elder brother refuses to come in refuses to celebrate stands on the outside the same father the same father who loved the prodigal son. The Bible says that he went out after his other son, his older son. And the Bible says he entreated him. That's a beautiful word. It's the word used for parakletos, which means one who comes alongside of. It's a word used to describe the Holy Spirit. 
So with great compassion and love, the father came out to the older brother and said, why don't you come in? Come on, it's only fitting that your brother, my son who was lost, he's been found. Let's celebrate. Come into the party. And all we have in scripture is that it says that he was angry and he refused to go in. I really struggled over that because I thought, Lord, you've got happy endings with all three of these parables, but the the one about the elder brother, Lord, it doesn't end well. We really don't know how it ends. I mean, he got angry and refused to go in, but, but what happened after that, Lord? What's with the cliffhanger? And I was really praying about it. And I was really, Lord, what do you say to that? I mean, how did that end? I'm a, I have OCD sometimes, I think. And, and I've got to have an ending. There's got to be closure. Lord, I need closure. What happened to him? Is he in heaven? Or is he, did he just, you know, what happened? And the Lord spoke to my heart, Brother Orville. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. I felt he spoke to me and he said, you tell me what the ending is. You write the ending. Because the elder brother, it represents you. How do we respond to the heart and the love of God? How do we write this story? I felt like the Lord was saying, it's up to you, Ray. Do you embrace the lost? Do you love what I love? Do you pursue? Are you rejoicing with her because she found her coin? Are you rejoicing with the shepherd because he found his sheep? Are you rejoicing with the father because he found his lost son? Or are you standing on the outside like a Pharisee? Are you sitting out there with your arms crossed? Because it's not fair. They should have to pay for what they did. They don't deserve to sit on the pew. They don't deserve to be in with the in crowd. They don't deserve to be with us in our church. They stink like the world. They've been worldly and evil and rotten. They don't deserve to be here. What in the world? You gonna stand with them? Are you going to go on in the house with the heart of the Father? You see, my the way I write the end of the story is simply this. He says, okay, Father, you're right. What was I thinking? Of course, you would throw me a party any day of the week. You've been so good to me. I'm sorry. I repent, Lord. I, I Father, I've been bitter and angry at him. I've been all upset because he's out there living this life and I'm here working every day and serving every day and I'm tired and, and, and I, I, I didn't want him to come home. I, I wanted him to stay away when I was wrong and I'm sorry. And I see him walking up into the house. Brother, I'm glad you're home. Come on, get over here. Yeah, give, me, give, me, give you a noogie on the head. You know. Let's eat the fatted calf. Let's hang out. I'm so glad you're home, brother. So glad. Oh. <laughs> That's my ending to the story. That's my ending. Because I can tell you straight up. When I got the message the other day from the prodigal daughter who wrote me, she had been at a funeral we did, and she was in the church, and she she said, just sitting in the church, I just kept thinking I've been away for so long. And I miss the presence of God, and I miss the worship. I miss the preaching. I miss, I miss so much. She goes, man, I just kept thinking while I was sitting there, I want to come home. 
And I told her, I said, you get here as quick as you can. I said, you're welcome home. You come home. I said, you're welcome home. I said, we've been praying for prodigals to come. We've been praying for people to feel like they can come home. That's what we want. We just want to have the heart of the father, right? The father loved the elder son just as much as the other son. And he, he begged him. He, he came alongside of him and he wanted him to know his heart. And he looks at us today and he says, Stratford Heights Church, listen, have my heart. If you want to see an invasion of prodigals coming in the back door, if you want to see lost people coming in, if you want to, we like to testify, 20 got saved at the jail, praise God. Somebody got saved at the grocery store. We love to talk about that. But sometimes when they come and they get in here among us and they sit on our pew, sometimes we're not so welcoming. Sometimes we're not so nice. God wants us to have his heart. He wants this to be a soul-saving station, a lighthouse for people to find recovery and rescue and relief. And I'm determined, Jennifer, that that's what it's going to be as long as I'm living. As long as you got me in this church as a pastor, I'm not going to quit until I make everybody either say amen or owe me one. I want it so bad. I think in my life, the Lord has given it to me in such a way that I feel it. And I feel and I sense, you know, sometimes you get mad at the Pharisees and mad at the Sadducees, but I learned a lesson. I learned that the father loved the older son. And he wanted to woo him into his heart. And so I ask you today, can you be drawn into the father's heart so that we as a church can be a healthy church? A loving church. A church that loves and reaches out to all lost and hurting. Kathy, no one should ever walk in this church and feel like they're, they got a big A on their chest. Or feel like they got a big old hat on their head that says dunce. Or nobody should ever walk in this church and ever, ever feel like you think you're better than them. Everyone should feel the love. Everyone should feel the acceptance. And everyone should know the forgiveness. This is the heart of God. This is the heart of the Father. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I would appeal first in this prayer to those who perhaps are here today and do not know Christ as your Savior. The reason we turn the lights on is not so that we can dance and shout and sing a couple songs and have a good time together. We turn the lights on for you. We want you to know Christ. We want you to have the, the experience of Him washing you and cleansing you. We want you to be known in the heavens as a son or a daughter. We want you to have the robe put on and the ring on your finger and the sandals on your feet. We want your name written in the Lamb's book of life and all of heaven cheering your name. That's what we want. If you're here today and you'd say, you know what, I'm not there, but I sure would like to be. 
the Holy Spirit is either dealing with your heart right now or it's not. And I believe he's dealing with someone. If you'd pray a prayer, we're going to leave you right where you're standing. We're going to pray a prayer to receive Christ in your life. And if you'd pray that prayer with us, then I would ask you to just simply lift your hand and then write back down. Is there anyone at all here today that would pray that prayer with me? I'm lost, Pastor. I want to pray that prayer. Christians are praying. If you're here today and you would pray that prayer, would you just acknowledge it by just lifting your hand? Okay. I'm going to trust that the Lord's done His work and the Holy Spirit is working in you and maybe you're ready, maybe you're not. But I'm going to trust it to the Lord. For the rest of us, I'm going to ask you to do what I did. Because when I got done with this, I said, Lord, I don't want to have that Old Testament or that New Testament problem. You see, Isaiah said at first, he said, in the Old Testament, he said, And the Lord said, Because this people draws near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment that's only taught by men. That was the Old Testament problem. And then New Testament, Jesus summons up those words of Isaiah. And he says in Matthew chapter 15, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. It was Jonah who ran from Nineveh because he had a problem with God's mercy and God's grace. He didn't think they deserved it. I would ask you to do what I did, and that's search your own heart today. To have his heart and his love. To not take the attitude of the elder brother, but come on into the party. Holy Spirit touches today. To come on into the celebration. Be a part of winning the lost. Loving them. Forgiving them. Father, touch us as a congregation, as a church. As we endeavor now, we move away from this prodigal series. Lord, I believe that we've covered as efficiently as we can every base, every part of it that I feel you've given to us. But Lord, I pray that it'll be birthed in each of our hearts in a renewal and rekindling that will never die. That we'll constantly keep in our focus, Lord, what you desire from us if we are the church. Let this be a place of of love, of friendliness, a place of servants, people who love others. Lord, no one, no one is rejected. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, and I give you honor and praise for it, Lord. Amen. God bless you.